And so just like Craigslist broke up and had a bunch of unicorn babies like Airbnb, right? You used to go to Craigslist if you wanted to rent an apartment for the weekend. Now you go to Airbnb. We think the same thing will happen with LinkedIn. And so I strongly, deeply believe in niche hiring marketplaces where you can go to a platform that's where the talent comes when they're looking for a job. That's where the companies come when they're looking to make great hires and have it be so industry specific. And so that's where we're building. Our dream is that if you're looking for a job in the cannabis industry, you come to Vegas. From the Insight Studio, this is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors, and the stories of what they're building. I'm Stephanie Sample, and on today's show, how Carson founded Banks, a platform that connects people wanting to work in the cannabis industry with the companies that are hiring. Banks is the cannabis industry's hiring platform. And so we help people who are looking for a job or information in the cannabis industry find a job in cannabis. And we help companies looking to build teams in cannabis connect with all kinds of great team members. Are you a platform or are you a recruiting agency? It's a, a funny question. We started out as a recruiting agency and we still have an agency start of our business. And so for the first two years of Banks, we were a manual recruiting agency. We had recruiters going out, looking for candidates and, and manually connecting them to our clients. And we realized, wow, if we built a platform, we could, we could make a larger impact on a larger scale and we could help a lot more people get connected with a lot more jobs. And so that's what allowed us to launch our platform. However, there are still some roles that require that high touch. So if a customer is looking for a COO and they need somebody to go out and recruit somebody from big scale pharmaceutical company and the culture component and the exact experience is so unique that it's, it's challenging to find that person via a platform. We still have the agency leg of our business that does that. And that's been around for almost five years now. Okay. So five years ago you started, do you, do you think you're the first recruiting agency in cannabis or one of the first few? Would you say that's fair? Certainly one of the first few, there was a couple people that were just, just I would I call it a one-man band out there, but we definitely took it to the next level the fastest. But I, I, don't, I know that we're the biggest. I'm not sure that I can say I was the world's first ever cannabis recruiter. I think there was a couple <laughs> folks that were doing it before me. Okay, got it. And so how did you even get started in this industry? Yes, I went to St. Lawrence, a small liberal arts school in upstate New York. I was doing a student travel company called On Track Adventures, planned trips for students. So as an example, St. Lawrence Lake Placid weekend. But I had had come up with a pretty large list of students and recent grads, people who had gone on the trips or who wanted to go on the trips. And I emailed everybody asking them what industries they were interested in getting jobs in. And a large percentage came back saying they were interested in jobs in the cannabis industry. Why do you think that is? Is that like unique to the school you went to? Do you think that's a reflection of just what's going on in the world? Or was there a reason? Well, and you have to remember at this time, there was actually only four states that were legal for adult use, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and Alaska. And so it was very different. There was a lot of stigma. No, I think young people are forward looking. I think people saw the writing on the wall, saw that this was going to be the next great American industry and were interested in getting in. And so I don't think it was a reflection of our school at all. I just think it's a reflection of young, innovative people thinking ahead into what's going to be the next big thing. 
Hmm. And so when you got those results, like what did you feel about them? Like, what did you interpret when you were looking at them? I thought it was interesting, but I wasn't, I, I certainly wasn't like, I'm going to spend, you know, the next, however many years building a business in, 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 in cannabis. And my dad is in the trade show space and he and I sort of had a brainstorming jamming session. And he was saying, I think that there may be an opportunity to build a trade show in this industry. And I was saying, it's so crazy because all of my peers are looking for jobs in the industry. And so he and I were actually the first two that kind of started jamming on this idea that the cannabis industry may become a thing. And I just started researching and starting to, to getting to know the industry a little bit more and actually went to a cannabis specific trade show. And when I was there, I was impressed. I was impressed by all the types of companies, whether it be a cultivation company, an extraction company, a retail business, meaning a dispensary, or an ancillary business like the picks and shovel businesses of the space that support the space. There was tons of different positions. And when I asked the companies, what positions are you hiring for? There was a ton of positions, whether it be a director of cultivation, an extraction technician, a dispensary store manager, an accountant. So there, there was clearly a lot of jobs. And I asked the companies, how do you go about finding your employees? And at this time, you couldn't even post on a regular job board like Indeed because cannabis was federally illegal. And so if you went on Facebook and you built a, a page for your, your cannabis business to try to advertise and get the word out about your business and any jobs, that would be taken down. And so there was all these restrictions that really made it challenging for businesses to cast a wide net to candidates outside of their network. And so over and over and over again, the theme I was hearing from the businesses at the trade show was they're hiring and they're having a hard time finding qualified staff. Hmm. But when you were asking them what they were hiring for, you were already like had your wheels turning about creating some sort of business within the space, maybe a trade show. You weren't asking because you were interested in a job, correct? I was not interested. I, my dream has always been to be an entrepreneur and there was no way that I was going to go work for one of these companies, but I was trying to figure out where the opportunities in the space were so I could build my own company. Okay. So they're all telling you all these positions. You're at the first day of this trade show. This was a trade show in Denver, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And you leave the trade show on day one and what was going through your head? I was like, I'm, this is perfect. There, all these people want jobs. All these people are looking for hires. I'm going to make a, a match. I called Raj, who was my graphic designer for On Track Adventures. I said, Raj, I need you to make a, a, a logo with a graduation cap and a weed leaf, like the toggle coming off the side, and graduana, G-R-A-D-U-J-U-A-N-A, and, and say, you know, Carson Homiston, founder and CEO on, on the business card. You know, that's what I need you to design. He said, great. It took him, you know, an hour or something like that. Walked over to the FedEx, which was attached to the convention center, close by the convention center, had the business cards printed and went right back to the trade show the next day with business cards and said, I'm back. You mentioned to me that you were looking for whatever the position was that they had mentioned to you the day before. Let me help you find your candidate. Amazing. And so as you're doing this and you're going back the next day, did it feel like you were still just testing a theory or did you think like, this is it, this is the thing I'm going to do? What was going through your head? 
I can't exactly remember what was going through my head, but I, I'm not sure that I was like, this is it. This is where I'm going to build my first real business. I think that I was kind of testing the waters to see what would happen. It was kind of funny, honestly, like I cannot believe I'm at this cannabis trade show and all these people are hiring and all basically my friends want the jobs. And I'm going to come back from the trade show with all these jobs and I'm going to start Graduana. And so I was super excited about it, but I don't know that I really had any idea what I was kind of kicking off. Okay. And so you're there. How many people took you up on the offer or showed interest? A lot of people showed interest. I didn't have like a contract or pricing or anything. So I just said, Hey, I'm with Graduana. Remind me again, what your job is. And I wrote it down on a notepad. And so I left with maybe 50 companies in the job that they were looking for. And I said, great, basically like stand by. Cause then my plan was go back to St. Lawrence, which I did make a website on Wix, which I can show you pictures of was so bad and put the jobs up there and then email everybody at the students and say, look at all these jobs that we have. And, and then once they start matching, start calling the companies back and say, I found you somebody, but I it was moving so fast that I really hadn't thought the whole thing through. So my goal is just to get as many companies and as many of their jobs as possible. And then I would go try to find them people. And then once I found the people, I would come back to them and, and try to figure out how I was going to charge them. <laughs> and did you understand at the time the way most recruiting companies did charge or did you just start Googling that and researching that too? No, I, I had no idea. I didn't even know. <laughs> I remember, I remember someone being like, Oh, it's like Robert half. And I was like, what's Robert half. And I like, went to Robert <laughs> half's website and I like, like, Oh my God, staffing agencies, you know? So, I, so I didn't really know. And ultimately what ended up happening is that like, I got all these jobs up there, had a bunch of students, you know, expressing interest in certain jobs. But then I had a tough time getting the companies back on the phone. And so once I graduated, I moved out here, started going door to door to all these companies I had met and actually open vape on mid July. I went there to open vape. I told them, you told me you want an accounting intern. I have a couple candidates that are a great fit. It's $500. And they said, okay, great. We're in, send us the contract. I didn't have a contract. So I went and made this contract, which I also have pictures of that, you know, we now show all the time at banks, you know, it was like a contract, but they had to check a box with a pen and we both signed it. They gave me $250 in cash up front and $250. Once we place someone place this phenomenal woman named Kiara, she was, she may still be there. I know she was there for at least three years. She interviewed directly with the controller named Nelson Oliver. I found them five great candidates and we went through this whole process and that was, that was the first placement. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So do you think it was important that you showed up and moved to Colorado? I definitely think it was. I mean, I I got more and more excited as I was, you know, having the website on Wix and people were applying and, you know, customers were saying, you know, well, come, come talk to us. What kind of candidates can you find us? I was getting much, much, much more excited. And I think it was great that I just drove out and showed up and, and, and said to the companies, I'm here and I will do any, I would have done anything. I literally would have done anything to find people their interns for $500. And I, I think that that gave me some credibility. And once I made that first placement with open babe, then they said, okay, we'll connect you with somebody else. We got connected with this company called Incredibles. That was great. We got connected with a company called Canna Advisors. That was an early client that actually gave us three, us, it was really me, three positions, filled those three. I think by that time I was maybe charging a thousand dollars a person. And everyone was saying, wow, this, this recruiter will like, you know, run to the end of the earth to find you someone who's only $500. You know, so people started telling their friends. And I think that the in-person thing made a very big difference. 
Yeah. And were you thinking like $500? Like, oh, I made it. This is amazing. Did you even know what the opportunity was? I certainly didn't know that you could charge people, you know, 30% of their annual salary at that time. I remember kind of doing some napkin math thinking like, it's going to be hard to really make it big off of only charging $500 per placement. But you know, now when I think about it, it's like, I do think there's a world where if we can get our technology product strong enough and we can be, you know, automating some of this, there is a world where that that could be a profitable business done through the platform. But at that time, thinking about how many recruiters I would need to get and how much I would have to pay them, I do remember thinking I'm going to have to raise my prices at some point. But at this point, it's not about making money. At this point, it's just about giving a great customer experience and getting referrals and being a trusted partner. And that was really what I was all about. I was, was really not trying to make a ton of money. I just wanted to do a great job and get customers to make referrals. Awesome. And at the time, were you already thinking about hiring employees? Were you kind of good being a one-man shop kind of thing or what, what was going on there? In the beginning, I was totally fine. It just being me. I'm, of course, I always, again, like, like I mentioned, I, I always have wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like it's, it was, you know, my dream. And so I've, of course, in my head, I knew at some point we would need to get employees. And that was what I, what I really hoped for. But in the beginning, I, I just didn't have enough clients or enough, you know, business to be able to support another employee. But in around October, I was getting flooded with business because of referrals and because you know, I was going to every networking event, walking around, handing out the graduate business cards, getting lunch with anybody that would get lunch with me. And so I was really kind of getting a lot of business. And I said, I, I need to hire somebody to help me with all this. And so at this point, I had gotten one seat at a co-working space called Galvanize in Denver. I was at the Golden Triangle location. I had one seat and there was these guys that sat pretty close to me. So we would kind of talk to each other and became friends. And I told them I was, was going to be hiring. I was, I was going to hire a salesperson. My idea was that I thought I was a really good recruiter. So I wanted to find a salesperson to help find the clients. And then I would be the one filling the positions. And they told me they had a friend who was a salesperson at this local Denver company that was looking for something new. Her name's Jordan Smith. And Jordan and I met for an hour, hired her, and that was our, my first hire. And, and she stayed with us for four years. She's still an advisor to Vanks, great friend, actually probably top five best friends. And now after four years, she's actually left and has gone and is employee number one at another brand new startup in New York. And I think her thing will kind of be being employee number one for companies from like pre-launch to series A. And so anyway, that's a tangent about, about her, but that was my first hire. Okay. And did it work out how you thought? Was she the salesperson and you the recruiter? We actually ended up flipping it. And so we ended up, I was really good at going out and finding customers and building the relationship with the customers and getting them excited. And she was really good at filling the roles. And so for honestly, eight months, that's, that was the business. I would get the customers, I would bring them in. She would fill the roles. And we were just, the two of us were just cranking and we did a career fair, the cannabis industry's first ever career fair. That was in, 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 I think January. And we had a line of people out the door and tons of cannabis businesses. And that kind of really got us on the map. And then all those businesses that couldn't fill their job at the career fair signed up uh, with us to, to help us fill it. And that's when we really got rocking. And at that point is when we did our rebrand from, or in the, in the spring, which really what we consider the launch 
of, of Vangst. And we, we gave up on Graduana and we launched Vangst, which was going to do more than interns and recent grads. And that summer we made a couple more hires and it, we really never looked back from there. Okay. Talk, talk to me a little bit about the rebrand. Was it, was there more to it than the idea that you weren't going to kind of focus on college graduates anymore? Or what, what were you feeling was the need for that? Great question. So I was getting a little bit self-conscious about the name Graduana. Like people would laugh at me when I went Mm. to meet with them. And I was trying to be really, really professional. It's funny because I went through this phase in the first year where I was like, wanted to be so professional. And so I was, I was wearing like business suits to these meetings. Like I don't, I've thrown them all out since I wear, you know, jeans and a, and a t-shirt every day now, but I was like taking it so seriously at this point that I was like going to these big meetings. And then I would be like, kind of embarrassed that our name was Graduata and it was a graduation cap with the weed leaf coming off the side. And they were talking to us about serious positions and we had a reputation to be able to fill serious positions. And so I was like, we, we have got to ditch this name. We, we cannot be associated with just interns and recent college grads. We need to relaunch as something else. So I had never raised outside capital. It was just me. And so we, we didn't have a ton of money. And so we went to this company called Canna Brand, which was a, a marketing agency in the space. And we said, we need a new logo. We need a new website. We need some pop-up banners to take to the trade shows that we're going to go to, but we have to do it on the cheap. And, and they were, we were able to you know come to a reasonable price, I think like $5,000 or something. And we went in for the brainstorming session. And for some reason, we started looking up the name catch or the word catch in other languages. And we saw that Vangst, meant catch in Dutch. And we, we kind of got, we, we quickly went and looked and we saw if they had a domain name available, which we did. And we we're like, thanks. That's kind of cool. Like catch talent, get hooked. If you get placed, you can be considered a bankster. It's, it's one of those words that people don't really know what it means. It's not like leap higher or, you know, high, get high while at work.com or some <laughs> crazy thing like that, you know? So we thought, okay, this will work. And that was it. We did it. It was really not that complicated of a process. Awesome. So you change your name to Banks and you start hiring. Where are you at at this point? You're still pre-raise. So tell me a little bit about that phase. Like you're hiring up, you're scaling up client-wise. And then even the story leading into how you came upon the idea to go out and raise. Yes. So this is, we're, we're in the, we're in, we're, we're, we're going into 2017 let's see a 20 going into 2017. I, I, this, this, this will always be burned into my mind because we went to MJ biz, this really big cannabis trade show in Las Vegas. And the team at the time was myself, Jordan, Kyle Arfston, Amanda Guerrero, Andrew Freeman, and Amanda Koenig. So six people. And we said, we're going to go to MJ biz. We got a booth. The booth was five. I remember the, Soviet, the booth was $5,000 and we all, it was at the Reno in Vegas. And we all stayed next door at the gold coast, which is just the junkiest <laughs> hotel in Las Vegas. I'm telling you, it's $30 a night, the rooms. And we bumped <laughs> up. We all, we all, we all shared rooms. And uh, we said, we are going to get as much business from this event as possible. This is going to set us up for 2017. And we kept on rallying around the idea of in 2017, we are going to do a million dollars in revenue. We can do it. So this trade show was in uh, like November. And so we went there and we just 
hustled so hard for the three-day trade show. And we came back with so many leads, so many clients, and it just set us up going into 2017. And 2017 is really when I would say we like took off. And so we ultimately ended up doing over a million dollars in 2017. We got our team up to about 20 people and it was... I think a very successful year for us. We had so many new clients. We were making so many placements. This is when we got our idea to build Vanksters, which was the first version of our, our tech, our job board. And so at the end of 2017, going into 2018, we were actually getting inbounds from investors, many investors in the cannabis space saying, you guys are onto something. It's incredible that you haven't raised capital before. Jobs is going to be a huge part of this industry. Like, let's have a meeting. But, you know, at this point, I didn't even know what venture capital was. It really wasn't my priority. And I was just so busy with building the and growing the team. Mm -hmm. So how did you guys come up with the platform idea? Was someone that was on your small team have background in tech and be like, really, Descalis, we got to go into tech? Or was it more out of like necessity? Well, I remember thinking that it's a lot of work when you're doing everything. So when you're finding the candidates, getting the candidates, presenting the candidates to the clients, getting them ready for the interview, following up with the clients and the candidates after the interview. I mean, it is a lot of work. Then you place the candidates and then you have to make sure they stay for 90 days in order to get paid. It was a lot of work. And I remember thinking like, you know, we have access to all these candidates. They're coming and filling out our form saying, I want to get a job into cannabis. How can we say to our clients, you know, instead of paying a percentage of annual salary, we can give you access to these candidates that are coming to us every day wanting jobs in cannabis. And, you know, you'll have to do a little bit more of the work, but it'll be less expensive to you. And so we, we always all talked about it. And uh, I had met somebody at, 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 during my galvanized days named David Smith. And he was the CTO of a company at Galvanize and we got to know each other. And I told him that I really wanted to build this platform, but I didn't know anything about tech. And so he helped. We hired an offshore developer named Mohammed, who was with us for a long time, as well as we hired a recent graduate from Galvanize named Mike Olson. And the three of them worked together to launch Banksters, which we brought to market in July of 2017 at our career fair. And then it ultimately ended up getting a lot of press in, you know, I want to say like August, September, there was all these articles that came out about really the, 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 the world's first cannabis job board. And so it started getting from all this press, like a lot of traction. And I think that's probably what made investors start reaching out to us. So you were able to build this pre-investment. You, you yes. didn't have to. That's amazing. It You're was so bad though. Like, let me tell you right now, this, <laughs> this thing had bugs. Like people be like, I got 90% through making my profile and the site crashed. And so we did it on the inexpensive because again, we hadn't raised outside capital and we were very proud of it. But in comparison to what our product is now, it was not that great. Sure. Yeah. But you launched something. I think that's really amazing. I actually wonder, like looking back now, now that you kind of are in the tech space, it seems to me like it actually benefited you to not know a lot about tech and to just go ahead and start building things. Because I'm making an assumption here. So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm assuming that by going down this path so far before raising capital, it allowed you to retain a lot more equity, you know, have a lot more validation points to go out and raise. Do you look back and see that that's a benefit or how do you view it? Meaning how do I view like waiting to raise capital a little bit longer? 
Yep. And then not having a background in tech, building all of this. Honestly, it's, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of with our team of making it as far along as we did without taking anybody else's money. You know, every bet we made was with our own pocketbook, right? And so we could decide, are we going to hire another recruiter? Are we going to invest in getting a developer for something that isn't going to generate cash for six months until it's built? And we were betting that with our own capital that we earned hard from the, from the placements that we made. And so I think it was a great experience. It taught us to be really lean. It taught us to make sure we were getting you know as big of a bang for a buck on every dollar we spent. And it's, it's really one of the, the best it's one of the best experiences I've ever had having to do it on the cheap that much. I mean, you really have to think about every dollar that you spend. Sure. Yeah. So you start getting a bunch of press after your career fair, you have your platform, even though it's not good, it's still something It exists and investors start emailing you. So tell me about that. What, how did you make the switch? When did you start talking to them? So this was, again, this was around the winter of 20, you know, December, 2017, going into the, into January of 2018, we started having conversations with investors. It actually started again at that, at MJ Biz at that conference and had some meetings with some cannabis investors. And I, I, I wasn't sure if that was the path that we had wanted to go down. I had heard, I had heard some horror stories about people raising capital before. And I thought we're good on our own. We're profitable. We're growing quickly. I'm not sure if we should raise outside capital. So I wasn't sure. And so I met investors and talk to them about our business. And they would all say, you know, we're really impressed. Can you send us your deck and your financials? And I was like, I don't have a deck like, and, and, and our <laughs> financials are, you know, I just, I just look at QuickBooks every month. It's like cash accounting. I, I don't really have these things. And they would be like, okay, no, you know, no worries. Just send us what you have. And I kept on being like, what do they mean? Send us what they have. And I think that they're just so used to talking to founders that have, you know, a deck and financials and all these things put together. And like, I was just kind of focused on the business. And I think when I look back on it, like my lack of interest was, was in my lack of knowing anything about BC. And actually it's funny. Some of our investors now say that that's what made it more like my, my, basically my cluelessness to how VC worked made it more interesting to them. Mm, Yeah. Like the thing that isn't interested in you, human nature almost was, was a good thing for you. Okay. And so, so, so basically, yeah, yeah. So what happened was, was that my really good friend, his name is Ryan Smith. He's the founder and CEO of LeafLink, which is the B2B wholesale marketplace for cannabis. And it's an incredible business. He was one of our first clients we met because we both were working out of Galvanize, that place I talked about earlier. We placed his first sales rep, Mally Walsh there. And, and Ryan had raised capital. And Ryan basically told me, you're crazy not to raise capital. This space is moving so quickly. You got to scale up your tech. There's going to be one winner in, in your space and raise capital and get going. And so mm. he helped me make my, my pitch deck. He looked through all, all the things and then he actually made some great introductions to some investors. And so Ryan was the one who helped me kind of come over the sort of get to it and and get going. And so we made this deck and I sent it out to the cannabis investors who I had met with. And I, I quickly had some term sheets and we were in the process and Ryan connected us to Lara Hippo, a early stage venture fund out of New York 
They're industry agnostic. So it, it wasn't like they were specialized in cannabis. They're really well known for Allbirds, Warby Parker, Glossy, all these companies that I was obsessed with. Like, oh my God. But actually a big piece of their fund is technology companies as well. And so we got connected to them and I, I thought it was a long shot. Like I was so excited for the call. We had the call. It went really well. Then the next week we had another call with one of the partners. The following week we had another call and they said it's a final step before a term sheet to come out to New York. And at this point I had these other term sheets from cannabis investors. And, but I really want, really, really was hoping that I could partner with Lair Hippo. And so I kept pushing the cannabis investors off and I went to New York city and I, I met with their whole team. We got along so great. We had so many ideas. I was so excited. They wrote us a term sheet, so excited and happy. We signed the term sheet and, and we raised the seed round. Lair Hippo was the lead. Casa Verde was, was the, was the follow on investor and the raise was done and, and we were off to the races. Okay. And so that was it. That was series A, right? No, no, that was seed. Seed. Okay. Seed. March of March of 2018 is when we closed and announced the deal. Okay. And the, okay. So sorry about that. And then you raised the series A actually pretty quickly after that. Is that right? Yep. We raised the series A in 2019. Yeah. A year later. Okay. What were the milestones that you hit or what happened to make it possible to then turn around and raise a series A so quickly? So that year was a sprint. And so we built and launched Banks Gigs, the, the product. We launched gigs in Colorado and it took off. I mean, companies needed gig workers. And so there, were, there was actually a waiting list to get onto Banks Gigs in Colorado. And we said, we need to take Banks Gigs to every other market. And we thought, well, it's working really well connecting employees to gigs. What about it connecting employees to full-time and mid-level jobs to the platform. We really need to, you know, scale up the engineering team even more. So I think it was just the proof of concept of how well gigs did in Colorado and we could take that to additional markets. And so Casa Verde, who was already an investor, they were one of the folks that put a, a term sheet in for our series A and we, we signed the term sheet and we raised the round and yeah, we started launching gigs in more markets and, and, and continuing to build the team up. And between 2018 and 2019, we grew the business from about 4 million in revenue to close to 10 million in revenue. And so we had, you know, an awesome 2019 and we went into 2020 hitting the gas hard. And in March of 2020, the, the music kind of stopped with, with COVID for a minute. Sure. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this, like I'm hearing your crazy growth. It, it sounds insane. How are you doing through it all? Like, do you feel like you were just like in the clouds along for the ride? How is it going for you personally? Nobody ever asked me that. That's such a good, and I never really think about that. That's such a good question. I think it was just, I think it's just crazy. I mean, like, I don't even think you really take a minute to stop and like, look around and think, oh my God, we have like 70 employees here now that this just all happened so fast. It just felt like every single day there was something else that we needed to do. And I, and I always feel like we're not moving fast enough. And so it's just one of those things that it just like goes by so quickly, right? I mean, it, it really, this month, we're about to be three years since we raised the seed round and it has gone by so, so, so fast that you really don't even take a minute to, 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 to realize what's going on around you. You're just onto the next thing and onto the next challenge every single day. 
Yeah. I can hear in just what you've been saying that you're a very personal kind of leader. Like you're, you know, rattling back names to me of employees and clients and stuff. So what is it like to grow that much? Like, do you, do you know all 70 names and what is that like? So by the way, during COVID, we 80% of our clients did layoffs and furloughs and hiring freezes. And so our revenue drastically dropped overnight during COVID. And unfortunately, we laid off about half of our staff. So today, we're actually when we're, when we're hiring again. So today, we're, we're around 50. And I do know all 50 people. And that is just my style. And I actually think that during, after the Series A, I went through this phase where I kind of tried to change who I was a little bit. And I tried to put in really, really senior leaders and make people go through the proper channels to kind of like, you know, and I wasn't spending as much time and getting to know people on a personal level as I did before. And I was doing that because I thought that's what you needed to do to grow and scale a successful company. And I've realized that there's no right or wrong way to build a great company. And for me, getting to know people on a personal level and having a relationship with them and making sure that they understand what our vision is, is how I'm going to do this. And, and, and so until we have you know too many employees where I can't get to know everybody, that's that's my plan. And I do think I have a great relationship with the team. On Friday, we had Vank Ski Day at, at Beaver Creek and a bunch of people came out and there was, you know, whether it was a entry-level customer success person was there and our, and our CFO was there and we all just had a great day skiing and, and having lunch together. And it was great. And that's how I, I plan on keeping it. That's awesome. And I love that feedback too. It's so good for the listeners to hear that are thinking about starting companies or early on is there is no playbook. You don't have to do what other people do. You could become your own leader, which you clearly have done. So cool. So tell me about 2020. I think people are interested. What did happen to the cannabis industry? What, where is it at now? And, and kind of how is it coming back? Yeah. So, you know, a couple things, 2018 to mid 2019, the cannabis industry was way, many companies were way overvalued and they were all rushing to go public in Canada and and stock prices were just out of control, extremely high. Businesses were just flushed with cash, allowing them to build basically like businesses that were not sustainable for the long haul. And so there was a correction in cannabis that started happening in the end of the summer of 2019 and going into 2020, what folks are referring to as like the canna session. And so the cannabis industry already was up against some headwinds because access to capital was very challenging. There, there, was, there was truly a, a canna session. And so that was already, we were already kind of dealing with that. So a lot of our clients were already doing layoffs. In fact, a business insider started doing a newsletter. They, they switched their newsletter from talking about cannabis hires to cannabis layoffs. And so, you know, we were already operating against some headwinds. And then COVID happens and you're up against a double storm. And so now you have cannabis businesses that are strapped for cash, not profitable, struggling. And by the way, I should note, not from lack of not from lack of demand on the consumer side. This was really a capital markets problem. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of brand new consumers purchasing cannabis was was, was going up. And so, you know, the, the fundamentals of the industry were strong. Anyway, then you have COVID-19 happening. And first off, cannabis businesses don't even know if they're going to be allowed to stay open. They don't even know if they're going to be considered essential. And so that immediate, you know, March 13th, when the, the world started, you know, felt like it was crumbling, cannabis businesses just started doing layoffs, started doing whatever they could to preserve cash. So obviously that means you're not going to be hiring. And so our business got crushed those first few months. I mean, 
like I mentioned to you, jobs and gigs were just falling off of our platform or being put on hold. And that, that meant a lot of our, our revenue went down pretty much overnight. Yeah. Okay. So revenue went down overnight, but here we are in, you know, what is it? March 1st, 2021. What's happened between then and now? Yes. So what's happened between then and now? So the the first few months, again, it was, it was, it was sheer chaos for just like, you know, everybody knows. And so, but, but what happened was majority of states deemed cannabis as essential. So cannabis businesses were going to be able to stay open. Now that said, they were having to operate with limited capacity, right? So in some places where you grow cannabis, you're having to operate with, you know, 50% less staff. And so it was challenging for them, but they were able to stay open. So that's good thing number one. Good thing number two is that it turns out that during COVID, people drink a a lot of alcohol and they consume a lot of cannabis. And so many businesses' sales were actually beating their projections. And so once this kind of once the, the standard was kind of set by the middle of the summer, businesses started saying, okay, we're going to bring back our laid off and our furloughed employees. We're doing well. We're going to get back on track and get our growth plans back on track. We're going to go back out and raise capital, right? And so things started getting loosening up by the mid to the end of the summer. And then the election happens. And obviously there was you know, a ton of wins, one of which was being the brand new states that were legalized for adult use and medical use. You know, right? The, the biggest win was New Jersey, of course, Arizona for adult uses as well. And so that generated a lot of buzz around the industry. There was a sweeping blue victory, which was great for our industry. And the cannabis capital market started improving. Cannabis businesses, particularly on the plant touching side, started raising a lot of capital again. So going into 2021, it was very clear this is going to be a drastically different year for cannabis growth, cannabis companies growing and hiring than 2020 was. And so that's obviously great for banks, the, the hiring company. Yeah. Awesome. And so now here we are today, like, what are you seeing as your future right now? What are you planning? Where is this industry going for you? Good question. I mean, our dream and our vision is to have anybody that wants to get into the cannabis industry come to banks. And so just like Craigslist broke up and had a bunch of unicorn babies like Airbnb, right? You used to go to Craigslist if you wanted to rent an apartment for the weekend. Now you go to Airbnb. We think the same thing will happen with LinkedIn. And so I strongly, deeply believe in niche hiring marketplaces where you can go to a platform that's where the talent comes when they're looking for a job. That's where the companies come when they're looking to make great hires and have it be so industry specific. And so that's where we're building. Our dream is that if you're looking for a job in the cannabis industry, you come to Vangst. If you're looking to make a hire in the cannabis industry, you come to Vangst. And we know this industry is going to create a million new jobs in the next decade and our, you know, we will feel successful when we are filling every single one of those jobs. That's an amazing vision. And it, it's, it's so like mission driven too of this idea of making it easy on both the employer and employee in the future. I've loved hearing about banks, but if it is okay with you, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Is that okay to go to? Great. Yeah. Let's do the rapid fire questions. All right. So, and this could be personal or business. So take these however you want. What are you looking forward to in the next 30 days? Okay. In the next 30 days, I am going to Florida with my best friend in the world who I have not been able to see as much this year. So we're going down to Florida. Obviously we'll get, you know, COVID tests before and after we get there, she's going with her husband and I'm going with my boyfriend and we're just going to sort of chill out for a couple of days. And I'm just so excited for that. 
That sounds amazing. If your company shut down for a week and you could do anything with your time except for work, what would you do with that week? Is it, would, it, would it be in the summer or the winter? Whenever you want. I, okay. I would shut it down in the winter <laughs> and I would go on a, a ski. I would go on a ski trip. I would do some days at, you know, at a ski resort, some days in the back country and a little bit of heli skiing. And I would ski and go out to great dinners afterwards. Awesome. Anything binge worthy in your life right now? Books, podcasts, shows. No, nothing binge worthy. Pretty I don't really watch a ton of ton of TV, so so not binging on that. I mean, I'm a pretty regular Audible and podcast listener, but it's not one thing that's like I'm binging on. Okay. Any recent books that you've liked? You know, I, I really liked the it's just top of mind. I, I read or listened to on Audible um Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, the now former CEO of Disney. And I and I just thought it was really a really interesting and, and good read. Awesome. Who is someone you're really looking up to in life right now? I'm obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with Sarah Blakely, the founder and CEO of Spanx. I follow her on Instagram. I, you know, listen to her podcast. She's just inspiring. I mean, look, you know, we talked a little bit about how we waited to raise capital. She's the first woman billionaire. I mean, she, she built Spanx and she never took a dollar of other people's capital. She owns a hundred percent of the business and she's a huge advocate for women. She's a huge advocate for working moms. She's all about just being yourself and being true to yourself. Like, you know, her Instagram is hilarious. She's, you know, four kids that she's always has on the Instagram. And I just, am like, wow, this lady is so cool. Yes. I think she's so cool too. If you were not the founder of Vanks, what do you think you'd be doing right now? I would be the founder of, of some other company. I'm not sure what it, what it would be, but I would definitely try to start another company. Great. What's the current challenge you're facing? Thinking about how to get into new markets the fastest way as possible. And so sort of our go-to-market strategy in these brand new markets like New Jersey, how do we do it, you know, the fastest, but the way that's like the highest impact to the clients and the candidates and, and yeah, that, that would be what, that would be something I'm, I'm thinking about today. Mm. Okay. Final question on days or moments or hours when what you're doing seems impossible, what motivates you to keep going? I mean, at this point, I'm like, so many times in my head, I say to myself, like, I didn't come this far just to come this far. Right. And so when COVID happened, like I have, you know, all these years of challenges and memories and, and everything. And it's like, well, you made it this far. Like you can't stop, you know, we have never consider stopping now. And so I just, I always think to myself, I've gotten through so many challenges before the businesses have, has gotten through so many challenges before. And like, we're going to figure this out. Like I know, you know, and you just, you just have to, I think that people have this, and I'm, and I certainly do it too. You, you go down these like rabbit holes where it's like, you know, one challenge, then suddenly you're, you know, down a rabbit hole, like a million other challenges. And if you just like take a minute and you say like, let's just solve this one challenge and not let myself go down the, you know, scary rabbit hole and break it down. It's a little bit better, but it's, it's, it's so much easier said than done. And I mean, there's so many days where, you know, I, I worry that we might go out of business or, and I think people are kind of like embarrassed to, to say that. And I'm the first to say like anyone that's a small business, like 99% of startups fail. And so it's always a fear in the back of my mind, but I really just try to not let my mind go there and think about how do we solve this one problem and just get to tomorrow. And then we'll solve tomorrow's challenge tomorrow. So, so that would be 
what I would say. That's great. I just saw it. It's actually a book title that makes me think of what you just said. It, and it's the obstacle is the way. What a great yeah. mindset to be in. Well, thank you so much. One last thing, where can our audience find you online, you and your company? Sure. So I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is K. My Twitter following is very light, but I do try to put some tweets out there. You can find Vangst on Instagram. It's at Vanks Talon, Twitter at Vanks Talon. And then of course, connect with us on, on Vanks. You can go, you can make a profile on Vanks. You can connect with me on Vanks and, and then therefore message me through Vanks. And you connect our, with our entire team on Vanks. And so, you know, I think that's a great way to get in touch too. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to foundintherockies.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. See you next time.